Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. second reading today comes to us from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 14 to 4, 5. It's on the screen behind me, but if you brought your Bible, I invite you to look these up yourself to find the words in the page. Or to listen deeply, however you know best. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, Proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. May God add blessings to the readings of this word in every time and in every place. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks that you've gathered us together, gathered around your word to receive fresh bread for the week, something to encourage us and sustain us, to teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and put us once more on the path of the ministries to which you have called us. Speak through me in spite of me so that we might all experience something holy, something good, and something true this morning. Amen. Now before we begin, I remind you that for the series I'm uh, experimenting with uh, a worksheet for those of you who learn best through your eyes or through uh, kinesthetically through writing. It is particularly helpful in part of this sermon. 
um, where I'll refer to it again. So if you have one handy, just make sure it hasn't been kicked under a pew, used as a bookmark, uh, or otherwise lost. But my first question for you all is, what's the story of your Bible? Who gave it to you? Or where did you buy it? What translation is it? And is it the translation you prefer? Do you write in your Bible? And if you do write in it, do you only use pencil? How often do you read from it? And where do you take it? Where does it live? On the bookshelf, the bedside table, your purse? And of course, I really do need to ask, is your Bible made from paper or from pixels? By which I mean, when you carry your Bible, are you carrying a book? Or are you carrying an app on your device? Inevitably, your Bible has a story, and inevitably, it's a remarkable one. When I think of the story of my Bible, I have to ask, well, which one do you mean? The one I read during the week in my study is my Harper Collins. I got it in Divinity School. I really wish that I had gotten the hardcover version. If you ask me, which, oh, and I write in this one all over the place. If you ask me, which one do I bring to Sunday school? Well, that's the teen study Bible that I got from Pastor Vicki when there wasn't enough students to make a junior high Bible study for our logos at First Christian in Ada. And so I was promoted to classroom assistant. I only highlight in this Bible, uh, except for next to Matthew 14, I wrote when I was about 14, next to the story of Jesus walking on water, faith is daring to believe. Or do you mean my pulpit Bible, which was a gift from my father that I received at my ordination to Christian ministry? I don't write in this one. And I only use it on Sunday mornings. And during the week, it is very carefully placed in a Bible holder box. I'll show it to you if you're ever interested, which my father gave me for Christmas one year. So, if you haven't known it already, I have a lot of Bibles. Who would have guessed that a pastor has Bibles? I have about another half dozen that I didn't mention because the, bore, the stories get old and even a little boring. But every one of them has a story of their own. The one I inherited from my mother, the one my grandmother gave me. And so we continue our worship series as we rediscover the good book together. And today, for the next and for the next four weeks, we're going to pick up more tools which help us to read and love the Bible better. Today's tool to do that is history. Now, every time we meet the text the biblical text, we are meeting a Bible which comes to us with its own story and its own history. But we're not exempt from this either. When we come as human beings, we have our own story and our own history too. And so as those two stories collide, I want us to think about four today as we consider 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 4, 5. The first history is the story of the words themselves. In 2 Timothy, we hear the words of a mentor writing to his mentee, an old pastor to a young pastor. It's a word of encouragement 
especially in the face of hardship. The letter is attributed to the Apostle Paul and is written to a younger pastoral protege named Timothy. And while this letter is ascribed to Paul, the best scholarship actually argues that this letter was written by a later Christian, a follower of Jesus, a leader in the church, inevitably, but one who is part of a church which Paul helped found or to nurture. Now, that version of events is kind of hard for our 21st century minds to wrap with our knowledge of copyright laws and identity theft. But in the world that we're talking of, when we're talking about the Bible, it was more of a sign of respect and honor to take the pen name of a more famous writer. It not only added weight to the words, but it also showed a dependency of thought. Now, I also say that it could be that 2 Timothy are the words of historical Paul written to the historical Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. The book of Acts tells us extensively about this. And in that case, these words would have been written probably at the end of Paul's imprisonment in Rome before his execution. But nevertheless, the best biblical scholarship suggests that it's probably a later text than that. And there are several reasons they suggest this. But important for our time together today is in the words themselves. The vocabulary and the writing style is different here than in the text that we know Paul wrote. And we're going to take a deep dive into two of those unique words, which are exceptionally important to the passage we read today. And they come to us from 2 Timothy 3.16. It reads in English, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That first word we're going to look for is inspired. Inspired by God particularly. In Greek it's theopneustos, which means God breathed. It only appears once in the New Testament. And for all the reading and scouring that we can do, we cannot find any book, text, scroll, letter that has this word in Greek that is older than 2 Timothy. And so it is quite plausible that this word was created by the author of this text. It's a beautiful word. You can see the two halves stuck together, Theo, Pneustos, in, in the little English below or on your worksheet. Theo means God, and it's where we get words like theology, which means the study of God, or Theodore, which means gift of God. And the other side, Pneustos, means breath and spirit. It gives us words like pneumatic or pneumonia. Together, it means God-breathed, which is something like inspired with spirit, with breath. So all scripture is God-breathed and ophelimos. Our text generally uh, interprets this word in English to be useful, which is correct. But it can mean some other things too in that uh, ophelimos. can also be translated to be beneficial. Which I think brings to light something that this word does, useful, um, that useful does not, beneficial does, which is, it brings about for us a sense of goodness. 
Because what I think of useful in our world where we are trained to see what we can get out of something, I think of all the ways that the way scripture gets used. Not only to spread God's love and right ways of living, also known as righteousness or justice, but how God's words can be used to prop up systems of hate and violence and exclusion. Scripture can be used that way. That's not what medics at Ophelimos are beneficial. Scripture is beneficial and useful because it can be used for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, as 2 Timothy 3.17 promises. It's Ophelimos, it's useful, it's beneficial because it helps to bring more of God's way to the world and corrects our sinfulness. So that's the first history that we have to attend to. How the text came to be, words on a page. That's not the end of the story. There's another story. The second history that I want us to think about is how the words on the page came to us in its physical form. The Bible hasn't always been available to the average Christian. That's a relatively new development. The history of the church is a history of a pendulum swinging from general access to the Bible to exclusive access, which means that only some were authorized to preach and to interpret, to swinging to many having the authorization to preach, interpret, and read the Bible. The New Testament was finalized about 300 years after the life of Jesus. And there were squabbles in the church about which language the Bible should be in. The language of the people. The language of the text. Or the language of the church. Now this is hard if the language of the people would be English and the language of the text is Greek and the language of the church is Latin. Which one do you pick? Now when Bibles were handwritten and it took two monks about four years to make a single copy, they were inevitably very precious. And they were even chained to the pulpit so they didn't walk away after church on Sunday. And when literacy was low, the local priest was often the only one who could read, if even he could. We often forget that churches historically have stained glass not because it's beautiful, but because stained glass was an important teaching tool for teaching scripture through pictures before widespread literacy. But all that changes with the printing press. It's a new era, a different way of being Christian even. Alexander Campbell was one of the primary theologians that helped to establish our way of being a Christian as disciples of Christ, was a literate man. But he also existed in a world where he could assume a baseline of education and Bible availability so that we could promote a democratic church where everyone had the power and responsibility to interpret scripture for themselves. It's hard to see how a church like that could even exist if there was only one or two copies of scripture in El Reno and perhaps only one or two of us who could read. And of course now, scripture is free for everyone who has a smartphone or internet access. You can find all of these words online. You can Google them. The Bible goes with us everywhere we go now if you have that Bible app. It goes to the bedroom, to the office, to the yard, even to the bathroom, and nobody talks about that. 
right there in your pocket. It's going along for the ride. So what does it mean for God breathes scripture if it's only heard in the context of community? And what does it mean for this God breathed scripture if it's not now just for the community to be read in one voice, but to be read privately? Or to be listened to through headphones? Or to be taken into your home? That's the second history. Now the Bible is primarily, or is physically, words on a page or pixels on a phone. And how these words and pages get produced and read by whom and where is important. And we live at a strange time in the history of the Bible. The third history at stake is how others have found this text before us. Now this is the uncomfy history for some of us, or the victorious history at times. Because how the church, which is now almost 2,000 years old, and how the wider culture has used this text, brings both blessings and harms along the way. We have to remember that the Bible came to us through human hands, so it has human fingerprints. It has a history of interpretation. And that's where useful for me, which I touched on earlier, can become a dangerous word. Because scripture has been useful for quite a few people for quite a few things. Thinking of our American context, the Bible was and continues to be a powerful tool for abolitionists, for those who see human slavery in this world as an evil, a sin, something which stops the love of God flowing between me and you and you to me and ultimately back to God. And the Bible is still beneficial for those who seek to end modern day slavery today. I'm thinking of the work that especially Disciples Women has done around uh, our efforts to end human trafficking in the United States and around the world. The Bible was also a powerful tool for those who enslaved others. Some of the worst interpretations that we carry forward come from 1 Timothy, the brother to this text. Interpretations that encourage the enslaved to obey the slavers. And along with the admonition of this passage that we read today that all scripture is God-breathed, well, some have argued that human slavery is perfectly fine with God. These interpretations which upheld the status quo of human enslavement long carried the day. And that history still damages the witness of the church. But even more than hurting our reputation, it damaged and continues to damage the coming of Christ's reign, the way of God's love and justice in the world. So I remind you that even though we didn't pick these interpretations... We still carry their weight, the blessings and the harms. Sometimes it's a legacy worth celebrating and joining. And sometimes we must lament it and actively work to reverse their effects. Because we are inheritors of stories good and bad. And so finally we turn to the fourth history that we consider today. And that's the history of ourselves. Of how this text came to us individually, to you, to me, in this time, in this place. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 15a, the author says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings. 
Many of us have had this, the Bible told to us by loving Sunday school teachers and even some not so loving Sunday school teachers from time to time. By parents before bed. The occasional veggie tale if you're of a certain age. The first time I heard this text was when it was preached at my home church by Pastor Vicki. And I still remember, of the handful of sermons that I remember from my childhood, this one particularly. And it still shapes how I see and read and feel this text. And so our story comes to light when we read the Bible, for better and for worse. Sometimes because of who we are or where we grew up or how we grew up, we have different understandings of this text. I think it's fair to say that those who grew up when books were more expensive than they are now probably see scripture as something a little more precious than I do growing up in the age of the internet. I know that as somebody who was taught how to read at a young age and for whom reading is easy, I have a different experience of the text than somebody for whom reading is a difficulty or for whom they were not taught to read. And so when we read... And who we read with, whether we read at home with our family or at church, in Sunday school, or whether we read in a park bench or in a building or in a jail or a hospital. When we read when we are comfortable versus when we read when we are in the hot and the heat or the cold and the cool. Whether we read when we have times of plenty or when we are lacking. Well, then, as the kids say, it just it hits different depending on where and how you read. And so finally, to close, my friends, we have been told and we have inherited this truth from 2 Timothy, that the scripture is God-breathed and beneficial. And this God-breathed scripture comes to us with human fingerprints all over it. I told you that today's tool was history, in reality, it's not just history, but histories. It's the stories that come from the collision of our lives and the many lives the Bible has had before it ever graced our hands. Loving and reading the Bible means that we account for these histories when we can that show up under the surface, invisibly, but nevertheless are present when we read from the Bible. And while it can be work at times, I think it is worthwhile for us to take into account some of these histories, probably not all of them at the same time, but some of them when we can. Because as we do so, we're better able to fulfill that promise of 2 Timothy, as chapter 4, verse 2 urges us to proclaim the message. And to proclaim the message into a world which might have already heard these words, but needs to hear them in a new way. But here is my disclaimer. When we talk about history, it can seem like that no one is allowed to read and interpret scripture unless you know all of this history for all of the text in the Bible. And that's just not true, my friends. Yes, when we can, we should take account of those stories as what's happening for us as complex individuals encountering a complex text. It creates a better, richer, more loving reading of the Bible when we know some of the stories behind the stories. But no matter how much history you know, no matter how much study you've done, the good news is that these words are filled with God's breath, which means they are living still. And when they encounter us, they cause us to live in a new and different way. 
So while reading the Bible can be delicate and even dangerous work as it radically asks us to change our lives, it is a text that is made to be encountered by human hands, to be smudged by your human fingerprints, to be read, to be useful and beneficial, and ultimately for your residue to be left on these words as we are the current generation to hold this text for just a little while, but God willing, we're not the last. So what's your Bible story? What is the story of your Bible and what's your story of encounter? What comes along with the text in your hands and what are you leaving on the text in your hands? What's the story you're leaving for the generations to come? My friends, may you know that this text is not only blessed by God's breath, but by your fingerprints now, too. Amen. This sermon podcast is a ministry of First Christian Church, El Reno, Oklahoma. It is preached about 85% of the time by Senior Minister Colton Lott, about 10% of the time by Associate Minister Tara Dew, and about 5% of the time from a beloved guest. If you check the math and we're wrong, don't worry about it. This podcast is produced by communications coordinator Rachel Carlson, and the instrumentalization you hear is by Chris Prather, our bell choir director, percussionist, and composer in residence. Christian community is made up by the individuals who show up each week and so while this has been preached and produced by some, it is the work of many. So whether you show up with your body or with your enthusiasm, with your dollars, with your prayers, or your love, thank you for making the body of Christ real and felt and known. Go and be a blessing this day and always, friends. Amen.